0: Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Byrd.
1: I'm Stacy Polak.
0: Who is Stacy Polak? Aren't isn't this a show with Mike Bird and Lisa Plain? Stacy, who are you?
1: I will be stepping in for Lisa Plain for a few weeks. Um, and who am I? I am a an HR professional. I work in the tech field and known Mike for a while now, and I love talking about careers and workplace development and coaching and all that stuff. So I'm really excited and jazzed to be here with everyone.
0: I love it. Throwing you on the spot with a little quick intro. Yes. So Stacey, like, as she mentioned, is replacing Lisa, who is on a podcast maternity leave. And we'll see how addicted to podcasting Stacey becomes. But Lisa will be off the show until probably, uh, you know, the fall when she comes back to recording after some time. And in the meantime, we are welcoming a fantastic guest named Lauren Greif. And we're going to be talking about generating positive job search ROI. Lauren's got a pretty interesting story on December 2nd, 2019. She was done that day. She handed in her resignation for a job. She'd spent her entire career wanting and working for. The truth is that she didn't really want to stay. Her boss didn't see her value. She wasn't performing well and the culture was not a fit. So at 56, after 30 plus years in top creative and marketing roles as a VP at J. Walter Thompson on the client side and her last woohoo as a managing consultant at Corn Ferry, the world's number one executive search firm, she jumped back into the job market, realizing all over again how painful and difficult the process was. So what Lauren learned in her 50s is what she wishes she knew and took advantage of in her 20s. That brings us to our recording today. It's led her to start her own career consultancy called PortfolioRocket.com. Lauren is joining us from Chicago. Lauren Greif rhymes with life. Welcome to the Career Builders Podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Mike and Stacy. I am, of course, so excited to be here and serve your audience, so appreciate this so much.
0: It's incredible. You have some really interesting, I mean, I didn't, I didn't invent the rhyme, Lauren Greif runs with life that comes from your own brand, your own LinkedIn profile. You have been a creative throughout your life. It sounds like, and I'm super excited to hear your take on a topic that I think is really a bit of an enigma for a lot of people. Cause you specialize in helping people access the hidden job market. Half the time people are like, what is that? Um, a a quote that you have shared with us is the idea that searching for your next job or career, career opportunity can be a huge time suck but the best ROI may not be where you think. I think that's a great primer. Can you share a little bit more about you and how you've arrived at this point in your career?
2: Absolutely. And the short answer to the question, how did I arrive at my at the career point that I'm at right now is, is the hard way. And I um, am definitely from the graduate school of hard knocks. And what I realized At this time in my career that I wish I had identified earlier in my career, especially in my 20s or 30s as I was building, is that as I was moving up through the food chain, the likelihood of me being able to find what I was looking for from a job post or something that was relatively cookie cutter as a job description just posted out there was getting... Slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. The road was going to start to narrow at some point. And I had not, I had relationships, but I had not invested, like invested the way that we are taught to invest in other areas of our life, like maybe exercise or finances. I hadn't put that that real focus into the value of my network. And I'll be honest, a, a lot of that came from um, a lot of um, browbeating from my family, from my parents, that would say things like, "You need to be networking,"
1: <laughs> and I was
2: like, "Thanks, but no thanks." You know, like because I thought what most people think of, which was, "Oh my goodness, now I'm going to have to go ask somebody to do something for me, or I'm going to have to put myself out there, and I'm going to feel." really awkward and, and uncomfortable. And what am I gonna to say to them anyway? And so it was more of like a, a state of um, you know, youthful rebellion that kept me away from embracing the, the value that was what I learned as, as I am later in my career became the greatest value that, that is for anybody, especially for anybody in a job search.
0: That's really interesting, Lauren, you've continued to kind of prime us for this really interesting conversation when we talk about kind of generating the greatest or a better or stronger ROI as a job in a, while we're in a job search, or maybe as you said, like tapping into the skills that you were referring to as a job seeker, can you talk a little bit more about what we're referring to in all of that?
2: Sure. So Behind every person is about 500 contacts, right? All the people that that person has known in their past, past colleagues, friends from camp, friends from grade school, friends who they met, you know, at the gym, different people from different places. And We forget that because when we're job searching, we're kind of like in this tunnel vision where we're like, gotta apply, gotta apply, gotta get those applications out, gotta get my resume done, gotta do this, gotta do that. And we forget that even though it's very, very valuable and important to be able to go through those pieces, that there is an opportunity for there to be currency and a compounding effect of spreading out and spidering that impact and having those conversations. Because as you, whether it's now, whether it's some other point in time, those relationships are, your, are the glue that can connect you from, from disparate places. So it's not always very logical, but you'll hear it all the time. Oh, how did you get that job? Oh, you know, my cousin's brother's mother's friend was working at this company and she mentioned to this person, this person, this person. So yes, there is a lot of dot connecting, Mm -hmm. but if you do it in a way that has the ability to be consistent and also is, is building the rewards are there. No, it is not overnight, but it will serve you long after any effort that would, more than likely end up in a black hole of an application so mm-hmm. at the end of the day you send that application and let's just say you're one of the 800 that gets that gets rejected you have nothing to show for it you know you've just lost an hour of your time 45 minutes of your time you're not going to get the time back and if you or, you know, believe that time is money, you won't get the money back either. So all the time that you're spending saying, well, I've got to get a job because I've got to get money. You're thinking to yourself, oh, if I apply more, then I'm going to get closer to the money and I'm going to get closer to the job. If you are using that time, 80% of the time in the networking world and 20% of the time in the, in the traditional sense, and you're building those networks, then that will compound itself and you'll always have the equity of the relationship. And that can last forever, (laughs) assuming that you you maintain it.
1: That's great. And I've got a follow-up question for that. So if you're someone who's never really thought about networking before, you don't even know where to start, it seems very overwhelming. What are some tactical
2: first steps that you recommend people take? That's such a great question because... It can seem like overwhelming and also very ambiguous. Ooh, now you're talking about networking, like it's like kind of like a placeholder for something that sounds like like it's just completely, it doesn't have a strategy to it, right? So what I would what I would suggest is go with some low-hanging fruit, right? You know people, right? You know people and start there. But in order to create some consistency around it. Build a networking strategy. And the one that is the most effective is, and I, I try to keep it really simple, an hour a day, which is two coffees. Mm. So two half an hour coffees. And if you're job searching, you're in the market, that is extremely doable. Um, certainly over remote um, on Zoom, but also you know maybe even in person in time. And what's happening in those in those opportunities? And you will come prepared because you're not just going to go there and you know shoot the breeze. You want to make it productive for both of you. So, yes, if you if you are meeting somebody that you know from a past life or somebody that was um, con- you're connected with to somebody else, you want to make it really about what are they doing that they love so much about that company, about their role there. What has, you know, how do they, you know, how are they successful there? What kinds of accomplishments and things do they do? Is this something that, you know, that they are interested, is there a growth track? Is there, what does that look like for them? Because when you get them talking, believe it or not, it will, make not only the time go by and they'll be excited about talking about you, but it actually does something else, which is when somebody is talking about themselves, it elicits the brain in such a way that they're literally um, experiencing similar feelings of when they are on drugs or having sex. It just like gets them feeling really high. And so it ends up to be a very productive conversation. So long as you're coming prepared, knowing something about them and showing them that you are invested and that you know them because they will be inspired and also interested in wanting to help you.
0: That's a great point. You've, (laughs) so I'm thinking about, I mean, quick takeaway, leave the other person high. uh, And so not, not in the drug way, but you mentioned something that I wanted to just double down on really quickly earlier on. And that is the idea that we have networks when sometimes we might think we don't. I recently had a conversation with someone who said, I don't have a network. This is a newcomer in Canada. He said, I don't have any experience. Therefore, I don't have a network. And in my head, I thought you don't have a network because you haven't opened your eyes to the network you have yet. And so I I just want to sort of plant that out there for people who think, oh, I, you know, like you said, could be from a past life, could be from family connections, friends, wherever, but we do know people and we just need to sort of accept them as they are and build on them from there.
2: A hundred percent. I mean, we all came from someplace and um, I completely agree with that. I think the kind of biggest hurdle is actually putting yourself out there to meet them and taking even a couple of baby steps in the world of vulnerability and saying, Hey, by the way, I'd love to have coffee with you. I'd love to hear about what you're doing. I'd love to hear your story and go from there.
0: Let me share something then Lauren, based off of what you've said. So yeah, just having an openness towards meeting people. Stacy and I met, uh, just as a fun fact, a little more than a year ago, something like that. Uh, two years ago. Sorry, COVID has literally deleted a year from my brain. Me too. And- <laughs> <laughs> we met in person. That's right. Uh, Stacy walking down the street with some friends of mine, walked up the fire escape of my building. I was sitting on a balcony with my girlfriend and- Stacy and I just sort of, I mean, we didn't even really engage at that point. My girlfriend told me that that Stacy person is like a writer and has been featured in all of these writing platforms and is really into career stuff like you, Mike. So maybe you should kind of, you know, be curious about her. And honestly, that's kind of what's happened uh, is just a desire to get to know someone and like in the most spontaneous of ways. Uh, I'm super thankful that that's happened, and it has been a very uh, like you said very kind of mindful investment of time and energy, Lauren into creating something that has been a really, really cool relationship, and it leads us to this kind of recording and other things
2: yeah that I'm so glad Stacy that you asked um, Mike to continue with that story because you know you certainly didn't go out that day and say, "Oh, I plan to meet you know this Stacy person and while Lisa is on maternity leave, who's stepping in.
0: So the idea of candidates, you talked about how some people apply online and they go into the black hole, they go into the void of auto reject, which is kind of sad, but then there are the people who are called referred candidates who have been introduced into the hiring process through referral, through someone who's already at the company. What, does that mean to you aside from just what it means on a surface level?
2: So what it really means like I think the subtext for a referred candidate is somebody who also brings with them an element of trust and credibility. Right? No one is going to take a stand for somebody that they don't know. Mm-hmm and that by virtue of definition of referred means that somehow you know this person. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a long history with them. It means you've met them before. You've had a conversation before. You were introduced someplace along the line to this person and bringing them in as a referred candidate means that they have something that you think the company would find useful and valuable about meeting with this person. It doesn't in any way guarantee that they will get hired. It just opens a door.
0: Makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, Stacy, I don't know if you want to talk to that. You, you work kind of on the HR side where you're speaking with people who are referring candidates into the company or you have colleagues that are dealing with referrals. Do you see this? Is there anything you want to add to just sort of how companies view referred candidates?
1: Yeah, I think most companies prefer to... I guess, work with people that are referred internally. Um, it could be a shortcut to getting on a, you know, the short list for a recruiter. So it's always a good way to kind of get your foot in the door, especially when you're applying to a role that has 500 other people applying to have that extra credibility from somebody inside the company always helps.
0: Statistically speaking, referred candidates have a pretty big advantage over the, the black hole chasers, unfortunately, I'll, it's a bit of a, a harsh term for them. But when you're entering the hiring race as a referred candidate, your chances of, of actually landing an interview and being the hired candidate are a lot higher. Why is that in addition to any of the other things that you've mentioned as to what the value of being referred candidate is?
2: First I, first of all, I really um, appreciate that you referred to it as a race, Right? So when a job goes up and you know this too, Stacy, the goal isn't to leave it open for an elongated period of time. It doesn't mean that the hiring process from a candidate's perspective is fast and easy. It just means that the goal isn't to take the current team away from their day to day responsibilities because there's a need and they want to fill the need so that they can do the work that the position is aligned to. Mm-hmm. And so in that race, after an internal candidate, they're going to want to go with somebody who can shortcut the system, somebody that they know like and trust. And what happens is, because they're not spending the money to go acquire them outside pay man hours to go through the stacks of resumes and to keep that job open for longer, then the cost to acquire that candidate is actually, at least in the states a quarter of what it would be if they used additional outside resources. So number one, they're preferred after an internal because they are birds of a feather who flock together, Mm. right? They're likely to be more like the people that work internally, leaving them also with less costs to acquire they move faster through the process for all those other reasons. Right now, this is so-and-so's cousin. And so we wanna make sure we're treating them well and we you know, have a good candidate experience. And so we're gonna hustle and get them through the process, leaving the team to go back to their day-to-day responsibilities. And super important is because they are birds of a feather, chances are they're gonna stay longer. Which means less turnover for the organization. And you know, anytime you're looking on Glassdoor or any of these other resources, you're gonna find companies that have high turnover, and no company wants to be aligned to that. So that if you have less turnover, that's always to a company's advantage, that they're that people want to stay, that they're retaining their talent, there's, there's a level of loyalty. So for all those reasons. Um, There's a lot of, you know, hidden benefits to what, you know, why companies prefer referred.
0: (laughs) I love that. And I think a lot of people when they're getting started in their careers, they sometimes struggle to see the hiring process from the side of an employer, which is normal until they're kind of in it a little bit longer. The idea that there is actually a financial benefit to the company to bring in referred candidates, right? You could pay an, a contingency recruiter <laughs> 15 grand for a candidate or you could, you know, just solicit someone's name from someone who probably already has a pretty good understanding of the role and can bring in someone that you know at least in their point of view could be a good fit.
2: I just want to add one other thing too. Not every company, but many, many companies also offer an employee referral bonus program so the, the person who made the referral is going to get a kickback you know it could be anywhere from you know 1500 depending on the company 3000 i don't know what the actual you know average is but there is a financial kickback i think the requirement is they would probably have to stay around 90 days um, but that being said, you know, there's something in it for, for pretty much everyone. It's like the trifecta, right? The mm-hmm. candidate gets a job, you as the referred person, get a kickback and the company gets a killer candidate.
0: So, okay. We've talked a little bit about the idea from a tactical standpoint of, of how we build relationships in a networking context, how, else do job seekers go about obtaining referral opportunities that broke that boost their job search ROI
2: so I mean another another way to do it of course is through LinkedIn right I mean and and there's there's a lot of obvious ways to do it through LinkedIn um, you know commenting on other people's Posts and building relationships with people far and outside of their immediate circles, following thought leaders, you know, being consistent about commenting at a certain organization that will help to get you found. But the other one, and I do want to make mention of this because it is particularly relevant with us, is go and listen to some podcasts. Go and listen to some podcasts. Listen to people who are either the, the host. Or the guest, and let them know what you heard. Of course, hello Clubhouse. Also, mm-hmm. you're sitting in these rooms. What better opportunity to be able to take notes and like shoot somebody some kind of you know DM or a LinkedIn message with a verbatim from what you already what you just heard minutes ago, and said, "Wow, that really resonated with me." You know. I had this point of view on this too. And, you know, take that conversation from online to offline. Like that should be a thought process that goes through not to kind of like in the dating world, right? You're not going to like have a relationship like going on text forever and ever and ever. Eventually (laughs) you're going to meet somebody. And so you want to be able to move that flow so that you're not like hanging out in cyber land for too, too long, because the chances of it materializing are pretty slim. (laughs) I love that point. I
1: use that strategy a lot, even in my own freelance business. I do writing and I typically like to interview different professionals for different pieces that I'm writing. And I definitely get a lot of
2: inspiration from the inspiration and interviews from people I hear on podcasts. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you want to even go like the 300 level, no, go to YouTube, go to YouTube. I actually, I actually met somebody on YouTube. Who's like a big kind of LinkedIn influencer. And as it turned out, um, he's a big branding guy. And I found an old YouTube video of his where he made this mention of the fact that, you know, he's a big New Yorker. And I found this old YouTube um video that he did saying that he hadn't been to the Museum of Modern Art for over 46 years. And I took that as an opportunity to put in my subject line, so you call yourself a New Yorker. <laughs> and he totally got it. Like it being be, being able to meet him in that kind of tonality, let him know that I was on to him. And since then, it's been, you know, just an amazing, an amazing friendship. He's now one of my key mentors. So, you know, it's, it, it may feel like, ooh, this is weird. I'm, you know, kind of a stalker. But if you're doing it from a, from a, from a well-intentioned place, I would not worry about that. And people are putting their work out there and they love, they love to be seen and noticed.
0: Absolutely. The miracle of the internet, right? It's just like, you can get to know people who are all over the place or anywhere doing all kinds of different things. If you want to go in a direction that's similar to theirs, it's not like there are massive barriers, hiding uh, the knowledge, hiding the connections that you need to get there. And I've experienced what you've talked about, right? Where I was saying something in clubhouse and a couple minutes later, I have a DM through my Instagram account. And it was just literally commenting on, you know, something I had said. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Let me, you know, really thoughtfully stay in touch with this person. It's when you talk about ROI, going back to that idea, right? It's not just about how do we get to the interview table? Because I think that maybe some people think that that's all the hidden job market and all that this relationship building is for, but no, it's like once you actually arrive getting ready for an interview, you might be being interviewed by someone who has been on a bunch of podcasts, and you can kind of get to know them before you get to know them on the day of the interview. And so that's just something that's so accessible to, again, increase your chances of being the chosen candidate, increasing the ROI of your job search. I love it.
1: So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the work that you're doing with your clients. I'd love to hear a little bit about what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see your clients making in their own job? Mm. process.
2: Mm. So, um, I'll say that I'll say that um, you know, fear is a huge one, um, and and fear is um, you know a pollutant and a contaminant um, for anybody's aspirations and dreams. Right? It can get in the way um, at all the wrong times. You know, you have your momentum, you're ready to rock it. And, you know, all of a sudden you either, um, you know, trip over some imposter syndrome or you just hear about somebody else that, you know, you thought was a rock star and they didn't get the job. So now you won't get the job You make up a kind of lots and lots of stories. So the fear, the fear is really, it can be real, but I think that the most important thing that I steer my clients away from is getting too invested in their emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a heartless person. and I I like to come from a place of empathy, but um, it can, it can cause quite the tailspin, you know, second guessing themselves, um, really getting into a lot of um, fear around ageism and ageism, just FYI, doesn't just work because you're in an older category it could be like you're in your early parts and oh my god you know people are going to say i have no experience how am i ever going to get this job um so you know all of these external factors can really kind of come in through the back door and grab you by the jugular so let's (laughs) focus in on the action steps and the facts Rather than a lot of the story making and a lot of the kind of, um, you know, can I swear on the show?
0: Yeah, yeah. We just I put the that. explicit tag in and away yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like what I mean is like, the head and can become like a bullshit manufacturing plant, right? Where you're just like making stuff up and then you get really good at believing it. So I like to steer away from that and really focus in on okay, let's. Let's look at the facts. You went on four interviews last week. Okay, is that more than you had the week before? That's a fact. Um, You know, are you, you know, diligently having those two coffees a day? That's a fact. Are you consistently doing that? That's not going to change. How many new people did you meet last week? You know, really putting some, some kind of like, almost like an audit to be able to see it in black and white versus being, Kind of stuck in, in a place of, um, you know, that manufacturing and then really identifying also, rather than sitting in the fear of what is, what if, what if, what if I go hungry, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if I never get a job, reframing, get into your future self. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does the future, Stacy, Mike, Lauren, what does that look like? What will happen when that happens? How happy will your family be? Who will you be celebrating with? Like what reward are you going to give yourself? And start creating opportunities to see things so that they're not so acute in the in you know in the fear-based camp.
1: I love that. Do you have any, I guess, strategies or tools that you use or that you encourage your clients to work
2: with to help them with that? Um well, I mean, they, they come to sessions, so yeah. they're, putting it out, they're putting it out on the table, and they're being as transparent as, as they possibly can, um, but also really keeping good records um, every day and tracking their success. You know, there's, in addition to a networking strategy, you know, they're writing content. So, you know, again, they're able to measure that. Right. We, we know. And of course, the algorithm is always our best friend. So, you know, it's OK. It's OK. You took the action. You got that post up. You know, you don't know who's lurking. You don't know who's who's watching that. But again, you know, that's that's an undeniable fact. So record keeping and, and like I said, auditing.
1: That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: There's something about people getting obsessed and I, I'm guilty of it too. I'm as human as anyone, the idea of getting obsessed over results when getting obsessed over process is usually far more productive and beneficial. And so you you said something around just sort of thinking about your future self that had me kind of boiling it down to something in my head as an image. So if I wanted to overcome the fear of uh, anxiety of, of flying, I'm sitting I'm sitting on the runway here in this jet plane about to take off. I should be maybe shifting to my my mind to think about having dinner with my family, my family that lives far away later that night once we land, for example.
2: Completely. I mean, it's such a bigger picture and such a bigger reason why, Um, you know, I mean, what would you do on that, on that plane ride? You know, maybe you'd have a podcast queued up that you could take your mind off of it or like a book you can't put down or just even, you know, take a good nap, you know, Um, find strategies and and stay in the solution, not invest in the problem.
0: So a saying that I have kind of sometimes verbalized is the idea that relationships come before these referral opportunities. I think we've been driving that point home pretty well today. Would you add anything to that overall idea, Lauren, or would you disagree with it or how would you interpret that?
2: Yeah, I actually um, love that so much. And um, my take on it is that, you know, networking doesn't work like a bellhop you know, it doesn't, it doesn't respond when you ring the bell and say, okay, now I want to network. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really does re- require a level of cultivation. And, you know, I think that if you are just expecting that all of a sudden you're just going to have like, poof, relationship, ooh, I have a wonderful network. Um, I would go back to some of the kind of, I hate to say this, like cliche analogies around building a garden. You know you need to plant the seeds you need to take care of them lots of water and you know lo and behold you're going to have you know some kinds of fruit so i think that it really is um a lifelong strategy it doesn't mean you know you're you're sentenced it just means that you want to make sure that you are um building it and also taking good care of it because those relationships as we talked about from the very beginning are your gold and they can compound, but they can't sustain themselves without any any nurturing. And so it's really important. And that is long before you have a job, while you have a job, while you've left that company. So, you know, my parting words to all of my clients who land incredible opportunities is: you know, you've built this whole thing up. And for many of them, they're they're like me in my 50s, and they didn't get going. For, until much later on in their years, so it's like now don't leave this to to atrophy. Mm-hmm. You know, continue to continue to invest in it because this is probably not going to be the last job you ever had. I love that. So you touched upon something
1: earlier in one of your comments about uh, people struggling with some imposter syndrome and how that can get in their way. I wanted to hear from you about your own experience and your own career. Was there was there ever any times where you experienced uh, self doubt or imposter syndrome,
2: and how did what helped you overcome this? So, um, many, 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 many times. Um, As recently as an hour ago, I mean, this is, this is not something I, I I think it's funny when I see things like, you're going to get rid of imposter syndrome. (laughs) I I actually believe you're going to manage imposter syndrome. I don't think anybody's going to like extract it from their, you know, their being. I think it, it, that would be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I think that, I think that the, you know, the issue with imposter syndrome, of course, it's, it's like other things where everyone has it. Um, but I think that the biggest the biggest thing is that, um, you know, I have to, me personally, I have to stay in the day and not, you know, get too far, far out in what I refer to as, you know, trespassing way out into the future and start getting into all kinds of bad neighborhoods and being like, oh my God, you know, this is going to happen or even in the, in the um, kind of the, the dangerous zone of comparing myself to other people, which I know is very normal, but um, you know, some of my friends have heard me talk about the three Cs, which are competing, comparing and complaining. Um, so when I hear any of those things kind of going off in my head, um, I know I am in some, you know, some murky waters and need mm-hmm. to kind of re-steer it back into, okay, so what am I doing in this next 24 hours? What, what must be accomplished? What must, must I walk away with at the end of the day? And when the end of the day is over, it's like I did the absolute best I could across all channels. And some days aren't always like that. Some days I'm like, oh my God, I was so unproductive. Or some days are like, wow, that didn't work out very well. Get back on the bus and just kind of move on from there but i think it, it really does take a lot of maintenance and a lot of practice to be able to just kind of get over myself <laughs> and really the truth is um you know i'm i'm also big on service work and not not staying in my head you know go focus on somebody else go figure out what you can do for somebody else and just not make it about you for, you know, the next 10 hours. Um, so I think that those are just some of the strategies that I've found have been really, really effective um, for me personally. And, you know, it's still going to, like I said, it's still going to show up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't expect that it's going to vaporize, but I think there's a lot that we can do. And there's a lot that's out there. And I think knowing that other people, no matter what, no matter who, also suffer from it and normalizing it is really important. Do you feel like it's more women than men who suffer from this or is it across all genders? Um, I do think it's across all genders. I I, I, I actually um, think that the vulnerability is I would say maybe not 50-50, but I, I don't think that there's a huge disparity between between men or women. Um, I've had a lot of clients or prospects, people I'm talking to who are extremely senior and they're like, listen, you know, I, like, I just don't know if I still have it. And I applaud that because that's something you can work
0: with. That's really interesting. Great food for thought there. I want to just, I, I'm totally with you in terms of the idea of sort of playing your own game, following your own rules. What would you say to someone who comes to you and says, but Lauren, I really thrive off of that external competition and comparing myself to my peers. And that's what keeps me in the game. What would you say to them about handling this?
2: Whatever, whatever works. I mean, if it's productive for you, if, it, it's, if it's a strategy that motivates you, and you and and that has been a formula that has been something that has you know inspired you to continuously do better and do more i say you know if it's not broken don't fix it mm-hmm. if you're not running into imposter syndrome or you're not running into any fear and that kind of lights a fire under your butt go for it um, and and if if you find that it doesn't then then you'll change that up but i mean I totally agree. I mean, in fact, that is um, very much part of a culture in a lot of organizations, albeit Amazon and especially at Netflix, where that is um, that is baked into the DNA of the culture, mm. um, whereby, you know, the, at Netflix, for example, they have um, a methodology called the Keeper Test that um, – the hiring managers go through on a very frequent basis and they have to go through an exercise of demonstrating how they are going to fight to keep their hire.
0: Hmm.
2: And so you are constantly in that mode of, you know, demonstrating your value, 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 and having that kind of competition around you because the, the likelihood of you not being, I guess, fightable, um, is going to always be there.
0: So we have some questions that we like to ask of all of our guests who come on the show, Lauren, and the first of those questions is, what's the most fun that you've had in your career?
2: I'm so glad that you asked because um, part of my mission um, in, in with Portfolio Rocket and overridingly so is to help a million senior-level creatives and marketers to land their next ideal career opportunity through the hidden job market. And that, to me, is the most fun I've ever had. I mean, I want to do it in a way that, you know, I mean, just let me be honest, we listen to a lot of BGS, um, And I have a lot of fun in the sessions. Um, and also, the clients that I work with have become... I mean, they're thought leaders in every right, but also, I mean, we're, this is not, yes, it's serious business and they have to take away a methodology, but it does not have to be painful. And, you know, removing the drudge and and the kind of the angst in, in the process is not only part of my personal brand, but it's also part of the brand itself. Life is too short not to have fun. And
0: mm-hmm. if you're
2: not having fun in your work and you're not having some level of fun in the process, then it, it, it may be a good time to, to either inject some or find some. <laughs> and um, so I am having the most fun in my career at this ripe old <laughs> age <laughs> uh, of, of 57. You know, um, it's never too late. <laughs>
0: I love that. That's a good note for our dear listener. Hey, it's never too late.
2: Never too late.
0: There's another kind of really fundamental concept that we have on this show. That's I think true for a lot of people as they go through their careers around risk and the idea that the career building can be risky. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did it turn out?
2: This one gave me like this one, this one really like, Threw me off the edge. I, I think that the biggest, I know, the biggest risk I ever took um, was leaving corporate America and and resigning from like my big corporate job at at Corn Ferry. Um, I've never resigned before. I never resigned. Period. Never mind with no plan, and um, that felt like either the stupidest or the smartest thing I've ever done, like it was a really tough choice um, and in the moment, you actually think it's the stupidest thing, but I just knew i i i I could not take it anymore i wasn't I wasn't going to do that and um you know i i went through I went through some really tough, dark days um wondering whether you know am I insane or whether you know I'm just gonna thrive. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a tough place. And I think either in this market as the pandemic or even in the earlier parts of your career, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that seem like really big risks. And then of course, you know, that wonderful 2020 hindsight steps in and you go, oh that was easy then. So you know I think that that was um, leaving the security, leaving a quote-unquote steady paycheck, um, having the structure of going into a specific place, having colleagues, building something from the very ground up um, was definitely the biggest risk that I've ever taken professionally. Did you take the risk again? Tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, I'd also love to hear, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received?
2: So um, as I mentioned, I was, I was a little bit of a rebel, big shocker. Um, and I used to hear this all the time. Of course, that was another thing I completely dismissed from my parents. And this one actually came from my father when I was really struggling in some of the earlier parts of my life. I was seeing like a lot of my friends who were amazing athletes and, you know, brilliant writers. And my dad would always say to me, you know, Lauren. People peak at different times in their life. And I remember thinking, you know, like, is that ever going to happen for me? Am I ever going to have a peak? And I think that it's really important when you're in your career, maybe you've been that, you know, superstar athlete, or maybe you've been all that and to think, oh my God, it's, it's, you know, that's all in my rear view mirror you can peak many, 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 many times in your life. And especially in this day and age, where things, you know, people are not staying in one job indefinitely. You know, there's lots of transitions and you're peaking as, you know, you mature into other areas of adulthood. You know, one minute you're peaking as a parent and you may be peaking in other areas. But the point is, is that it's, it it changed the way that I started thinking about my career and that it didn't have to be um, like a one and done. Mm. I'd love to know, is
1: there any career advice that you never got that you wish you had? Mm. I
2: think that that's a, that's a really um, great question. You know, I think that the, that the thing that um, I really do wish that I had had is somebody that said, you know what? I completely believe in you. I completely believe in you. I know you can do this. Um, and, you know, I, I had to generate that kind of on my own. And, and I'm fine with that. But I think that everyone should have somebody in their organization, a mentor, a coach, a confidant that says, you know what, put your big girl or boy pants on, you can do this. Mm-hmm. you got team. this. Your head um, team. Yeah. And, and, and it's okay to have a go fight win speech every now and again. You know, somebody who's going to really advocate for and with you. Um, so yeah, I do wish that I had had that.
1: Thanks for sharing that. That's really Thanks. useful and helpful for people.
2: So where can people find you, Lauren? Find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's my it's my virtual home um, that's almost like my real home um, and the wonderful relationships that are there. And you can also, of course, find me at Lauren at PortfolioRocket.com. Um, those are the two easiest, easiest places to find me. Um, but I am that person that likes to respond to people and to really build those relationships. So please do. I'd love to Meet, greet, talk, connect, all that good stuff.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, we can definitely make sure we're pointing folks in your direction. It's been a really awesome conversation about something that I know is going to be very helpful to a lot of people. You've helped a lot of people with this, and we're going to help even more. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Mike and Stacey. It was great. And well done on your first podcast. <sighs> Thanks. I'm sweating here.
0: <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> okay. I think we can call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird.
1: I'm Stacey Pollack.
0: There you go. She's still getting used to that. Our guest, Lauren Greif. Go check her out, PortfolioRocket.com. She's also really active on Clubhouse. We hope you are well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Are you looking to connect with awesome people on LinkedIn and build the kind of professional network that gets you hired faster? Go to coachwazo.com slash C-E-L-I to get access to my free five-day e-course called Connecting Effortlessly on LinkedIn. You'll be on your way to creating the relationships that build your career. Once again, that's C-O-A-C-H-O-I-S-E-A-U.com slash C-E-L-I.